We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And in the aftermath of the Patrick Beverly trade, the Lakers are very close to the end of this slow burn offseason. I can't remember a Lakers offseason quite like this. Usually, it's the first couple of days of July. And then there are a couple of straggler signings and moves here and there after that. But you pretty much know who your team is after, you know, the first week or two of July. Even the Kawhi situation, which seemed to drag on forever. I think he signed with the Clippers on like July 6th or July 7th. Here we are recording on August 30th. And probably the biggest move of the Lakers offseason hasn't happened yet. It's crazy. And that's the the Russell Westbrook. What's going to happen with Russ? I'm of the mind, D, that the team has done a really good job of giving itself options in terms of if you look at and there's been reporting around each of the teams, but they're not just talking to one team. There's not just one scenario in which uh, we got to make this deal work or else we don't really have an alternative. And in that, I think giving themselves options and under the current circumstances, I think they ultimately need to make a deal. I know that there's some thought that, hey, you want to hold out for the best deal available and maybe, you know, you start the season with Russ or you send Russ home to start the year, which is the option that I'm against the most. But I think that with the way that everything's played out, my attitude is kind of find the best deal that you got from here, take it and let's start the season with a fresh start. Whether it's that or just kind of an overall overview of where we're going from here, how do you see things, D? I see things similarly. I will say that the Lakers have given themselves options, and one of the options that they're broadcasting to the world is that they're comfortable bringing Russell Westbrook back, or at least starting the season with him. And I'm interested to know how real that is or if that's posturing. Everyone makes their own leverage to a certain extent. Um, we were talking about leverage within the context of, of defense the other day when we were talking about Patrick Beverly, right? And how he um, 
really gets low and leans forward and tries to get underneath players in order to establish his his leverage, particularly because he oftentimes defends players who are bigger than him. That happens when you're usually the smallest guy on the court in general. Right. But he mm-hmm. will defend up positions as well. And I remember Pete back in the um, the Lakers Shaq days that the guys who actually gave him the most problems weren't the defensive behemoths like, you know, um, Jim McElwain Matumbo or, yeah. or, well, I'm just saying like Matumbo was defensive player of the year multiple sure. times. Even the great players like that. Yeah. It was the smaller guys. Yeah. It was the Malik Roses, the, um, the Chuck Hayes of the Malik world. The guy Rodman the, would always guard him. Well, yeah, yeah. Rodman, right. The guys who would get low and sort of get underneath Shaq's center of gravity. And in, Pushing that analogy forward, I think the Lakers are trying to get as low as they can in the context of these negotiations with teams around the league. And they are trying to create leverage where there typically would not be any because they have a player that, if you believe Russell Westbrook's former agent, isn't necessarily valued around the league. And when you are trying to trade that player, then you have to create avenues in which there might be value around the league and based off of the reporting that's that's out there the lakers are dealing with certain parameters that they're trying to not go out of when making a deal and i think that that bumps up against this idea pete of like make the best deal that you can because the best deal that you can is always contextualized it is always well what is the best deal the best deal that i can within these parameters is maybe this and is that actually the deal that you want to make in this circumstance and i think that's why there has not been a deal yet i know that part of the reason why too is that i think that it's not a secret they probably would have wanted a certain nets point guard who is now going to stay with the brooklyn nets and now that the league has moved on from that scenario um, the Lakers have moved on as well. And so I don't think we need to get into a bunch of different names or team scenarios. But but Mike, like this is the back and forth, the internal struggle that or and maybe it's not a struggle at all. Maybe everyone is seeing this with clear eyes in the Lakers front office. But this is this is the deal right now. It is. All right. Training camps, what, a month away? And. I would imagine the Lakers mini camp that or the LeBron mini camp that he usually likes to have before training camp starts is probably about three weeks out, two weeks out. And from my perspective, I'm sort of with Pete. It's go time to me. It's like put get the team that's you expect to compete and give that team the best chance to coalesce. I wrote a piece at Silver Screen and Roll the other day about like um, conjuring continuity. And one of the ways that you do that is actually having the team that you're supposed to have as early as you can in order to foster that community that you're going to need um, as early as you can within the context of when the season is going to start. Yeah, there's just way more uncertainty than you would like to have, especially on a team that doesn't have continuity. And Go ahead and read Darius's piece, by the way, as you mentioned, because he hits on this topic pretty well. And I just the thing that I'm taking away after after just listening to you guys, there's this year and then there's next year. And I think right now the focus, the focus really seems to be about, well, they have to maximize this year no matter what. And I keep kind of saying, especially after looking at the rest of the Western Conference and not knowing exactly what the Lakers are going to get from their own personnel not knowing exactly what Darvin Ham is going to be like. I'm I'm trying to look at it a little bit of a bigger picture. 
Um, and and that means now that can't mean too much, too much, especially with what LeBron and AD's contract situations are, but at least for the two years. And I guess the way that I would boil that down, and I'm not sure this is exactly how the front office is approaching it, but you can't just make the best deal that's on the table if it's a bad deal. And so there's some balance there. There, There's, and of course, this is mostly having to do with Russ and having to do with what type of players um, might be out there. But I am, and I don't, I think we might differ slightly on this, Pete, but I get wanting to go into this season to give, and the Lakers giving themselves the best chance to do something. But I'm also looking at Russ's deal as, as it is the last year of the deal. And it's something that we've talked about all summer, but I'm just still there. I don't know how many trades guys have been rumored. Uh, thousands. Uh, the trade machine has been popping in. How many of them are out there that I really like uh, versus the ones that, that improve the team markedly for this season, but then don't necessarily guarantee anything the next year. And so I'm still in that, in that in-between place of not knowing exactly uh, how to phrase things. I'm just trying to make sure that we're acknowledging what the rest of the, not just this year, but what next year. And then the couple of years after that are looking like, uh, and, and I just think that has to be considered whenever these types of decisions are, are made. So that's the question. What is the the long-term value within this? I would argue one of the things that we need to accomplish out of a Russell Westbrook trade would be getting somebody back who can be here long-term that fits with alongside LeBron AD, that they have a very clearly defined role, that this is something that's going to be very useful. What they do is very useful along those two guys. There are a couple of guys that have been rumored that fit this, that there's that beyond just this year, because you, you are right, that we are not in a position to just sell out everything completely, nor do I think we have to for this upcoming season. That said, there is value in having that continuity. This is kind of a question for both of you guys is if you were to put a, what, what is this worth? This is my question for you. What is starting the season with the team that you have rather than letting the rust situation kind of linger and let's see what we can get at the trade deadline. Like I, I would I would agree with the and I do agree with the long term uh, idea. So long as there is something at the trade deadline, we, there's no guarantee that there's something better waiting down the line. And then at that point, that's what, 50, 55 games of the season that have passed. And any ability you have to compete this year kind of goes out the window. And with with Russ, in terms of like the trade that we make, I think at least getting a guy's bird rights that you think can be around for a long time is another one of the long term values that you can get out of that. So my question to you guys is, what is the pick value of starting the season with the team that we have versus going into it with the uncertainty? Does that make sense? Like, what would you give up in exchange for the certainty of this is the team that we have? I'm not sure about what I'd give up, but I think if whatever goals that you have this season, whatever goals you have, and the Lakers seemingly have goals of winning the NBA championship, which seems pretty far-fetched right now to me. It just does. Even if they trade Russell Westbrook for whatever number of deals that have been rumored out there, None of those are bringing back an elite player and or the type of depth where you'd honestly feel like the Lakers are in the top two or three teams who could viably win 
the championship, particularly when you consider that the NBA champion from last season came from their conference and came from their division, which to me is like another stepping stone that needs to be cleared then. It's not like, oh, the West is wide open. Well, I mean, not really. The, the reigning NBA champion who is basically bringing back their same team is in their conference. It's like there's a pretty big hurdle to clear there. I guess what I'm saying from my perspective is whatever goals they have this season, I think the only way that they're achieved is if they make a deal before the season starts. So it's like if you want to, however deep you're going to get in the playoffs, I don't think that that's going to improve by making a trade at the trade deadline. Considering the level of player and the impact of what the move is going to be scheduled to do, I guess is the best way that I could say it. This is this is the hard part, right? Is I agree with that. I agree with what Pete said. I mean. All right, let me try to put it like this. The trade deadline to me doesn't represent as much like the the opportunity to make some crazy unexpected run by getting the perfect player in and coalescing around a new coach and figuring it out and making all of that stuff, which is very difficult to do at that stage. I think the closest that we've seen is Pau Gasol coming to the Lakers, right? Where things just like happened to work perfectly right away. There was no bidding war. Nobody else apparently even knew that Powell was available, right? You didn't have to give up much. So that that's that's one thing. And I don't think that exists as much in the NBA uh, anymore right? with just with how many how many people know how many things and how how stories get out there and the interests being represented by the players probably better than they were at that times in some senses. So that's all that. But what I, Pete, to try to be more specific to your question, we're essentially talking about one pick versus two picks, right? It's part of what we've been talking about for a while. Mm -hmm. And to me, I'm not saying that this is what I would do, right? It depends on what players are available for those two picks. So if it's the right package of players, two picks buy. Okay. But if it's not, that's where, okay, fine. We're going to go into the season with the, with this roster and we're going to, we're going to try <laughs> as best it can. If, um, the there's going to have to be some serious decisions that have to be made if it doesn't work. But that second pick to me, and even if you don't, if you don't make a deal at all, and then you have two picks, right? Those can be used at whether it's at the deadline, maybe less likely, but even next season to get like an actual star that down the line, whether it's in the off season or in, in that, whereas that does not seem to be an option right now to get like an actual star. And it, now if it's a group, if it doesn't have to be a star, right? We've talked about the two star versus three star, but it, I mean that in the context of getting like, whether it's one star or just multiple good players, those, those are what those picks represent. And every time you, when you get rid of all of them, like some teams have done, like the Lakers did a couple years ago, it impacts your next several off seasons in order to actually bring players in that don't just want to come as free agents, which basically no players are anymore. So that's more what I'm getting at about the roster build. And it's, it's not just a, it doesn't accomplish the things that you guys just, just asked for. And that's the difficulty of having a player on the, on the team that is being paid a certain amount that isn't, that isn't able to, to have that level of production, because then you have to dig into other things to, to address that. 
So I agree with all that. The interesting thing about even the Lakers situation that you said before, Mike, about Pau Gasol, one of the things I was going to mention about that is the Lakers were already good. They were like first in the West or second in the West. They were one of the better teams. They were actually a surprise team. And getting Pau Gasol happened right at the time that the Lakers lost Andrew Bynum, basically. So it was a one-for-one trade, essentially. They replaced one starting big man with another starting big man who was probably even better than the guy that he replaced. He was better, they, not probably. Were they first or second in the West at that point? They they had dropped to, I think, fourth at that point, but it was because Bynum went down like a week before. It was yeah. very close at the top and like a week earlier there. They were the, okay. we, t- we touched number one in the West. We hit. I remember because we started the season right with the Kobe demand and thinking, oh, we're going to be the same like seventh seed type of team that we'd been the previous two seasons. And so getting to the number one seed 40 some odd games into the year, I remember that being, and it was only for a day or two, right? But I remember yes. getting there as an as an accomplishment yeah i think like after 30 something games they were i don't know man like 23 and 12 so i'm looking at it right now so they were yeah they were they were 27 and 12 on january 3rd 21st um that seems like the high watermark uh yeah they were like 20 and 20 and 11 yeah so they had a one two three four they had like an eight game win streak in early january and that seems to be yeah that's like the time And then, and it's, you know, it's Kobe 37, Kobe 37, Kobe 48, Kobe 30, you know, oh, Lamar, (laughs) whoa, dude, Lamar was in his rebounding bag at the time. Um, Yeah, okay. I I always love the Super fun team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super fun One of my favorite teams. One of my favorite teams. And And, and, and anyways. to, To tie it to this year's team, just real quick, I'm not as, like, to me, if you have LeBron and Anthony Davis playing and your defense is good, you're one of the best teams in the NBA. I understand how far away that was last year, but I think that part of part of the benefit of our type of build is that we can get back on our feet fairly quickly. Right. That 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 is one of the benefits of having that degree of turnover is that we can get there. If you've got those all this time we've spent talking about the guys like actually playing roles around those two stars, which which they are better equipped to do uh, this year. For sure. They, they are. And yeah. I think that the last part of that is making the best rust trade that you can. In terms of those picks being what you trade for a star or what you use down the line, I totally agree with that. But in one of the overall themes of our conversation over the course of this offseason, how much are those firsts worth in a big picture sense, right? That we're seeing stars go for four or five first round picks. We bought the 35th pick this year. We didn't trade anything at all, just the money that we get allocated to trade in deals this year. And so my concern with this offseason is that and that approach that you were laying out earlier, Mike, is that is that it's penny wise and pound foolish. Right. Meaning that you do really bad things to this year's team, which, again, I understand that we have a long way to go to get to where we want to. But I see this actually very much like that 2007, 2008 year where even if we don't get all the way to the top, that those types of years building up to that can have that slingshot effect on the next season beyond just the assets that you have, but also how you play. So let's take a quick break. And when we we come back, Mike, I want to hear your thoughts on that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So, Pete, do me, do me this favor. Summarize your position Right. And so that I can properly respond to this from really the, the for all three takes, I think, that you've had so far are are related and good. But I, I want to make sure that I'm answering the, your, the right question. So I think that the, that we have done a great job of putting ourselves in a position where there are different versions of a Russell Westbrook tra- trade, where there are enough of them where we aren't pinned down against one team where it's they just have to force us to give up the second pick for an eh type of return. Now, maybe I'm wrong on this. I also think that there are a couple of teams that can absorb salary. So we could trade Russ and get half of his salary back if that is one of the options. But the point is that I think there are options out here. Now, that my entire argument may fall apart in that the options may not as good be as good as I think that they are. What I'm saying is that in that type of environment, that whatever the best deal is, and you cannot, and because you have options, you can't get too pinned to any one of them, right? Whatever the best deal is, that we should take it because that gives us the opportunity to build off of. Uh, that gives us the opportunity to build this season in ways that will also have that impact on future seasons in the same way that we're concerned about giving up a pick like, oh, we won't have something to to trade down the line. I think that the having a good team this year will have a uh, that that has more of an impact than that second first round pick has in a league where good players are going for five of them. Yeah, I think I probably agree with that. I think I, I think I do. I think it's more just the. Like in the Anthony Davis trade, even you hate to give up certain things and certain young guys, but there is there are certain types of players of which Anthony Davis was one where ultimately you have to do the deal. And if the players in a in a deal for any for anybody that's currently on the Lakers, if the deal all all together, including whatever picks are are needed to give up and including what players come in. If it makes your team good enough that you have a a chance to win and B it's something that can be built upon and isn't just all expiring guys or, you know, or guys that are on a certain at a certain point of their career, then I do then kind of tilting back to Darius's argument about continuity. That is part of that as well. Like then then that is something that I sign up for uh, because it, it not only gives you a chance to to get to, to be a real team this year, but you can build upon it the next season. And then, you know, 
at least you're not talking about the same type of pick compensation that was that say the Timberwolves gave up, right? Or say that the right. Knicks might give up. Where okay, you're going to still get your every other year pick, and then all of a sudden you can start to get into like the the if it's a year down the road you can get to, you can start to get into the 31 pick, which sounds ridiculous to think about 2031. Uh, but I'm <laughs> that's just a like, future sounding year, man. Jesus, it's this, it's this whole thing of of like this is a a thought that's almost disparate from the current roster with this whole pick thing for me because it's kind of it's it's the stuff where the names we can't discuss, but trying to think about who that next real like big star is going to be that because there always is one that wears the purple and gold. Sure, there's going to be a couple year gap here and there. And that's when I start to get I start to get antsy about the way that the league has evolved with free agency versus trades. And if you don't Mm. have the proper stock right when one of those guys does come up, then you Mm. really miss out. And in the short term, better be worth it. But again, to get to make to shorten my point down to like two seconds, I the argument that you're making, I am mostly on board with. See, so I'm going to pivot here. Because the questions I then have are about Rob Polinka and they're about the front office in general and what are the ideas that they've and what do they value um, and how do they plan to build the next great Lakers team? They built a great Lakers team and Rob Polinka did and all credit to him. He built a team that won the NBA championship. He traded what needed to be traded in order to get Anthony Davis. He chased a third star. It didn't work out, but then he pivoted very quickly and got guys like Danny Green and all the rest of that crew in order to come on board. He made a great buyout signing in Markeith Morris, and he made the right choices in terms of who to bring back from the previous year's roster in order to build a team that was good enough to win the NBA championship. All credit to Rob Polinka. Over the last two seasons, he systematically tore down that team to the point where now, on today, the day that we're recording this podcast, the only two players who remain from that championship team are LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Things that we've been discussing about, oh, the potential for salary cap space in next season, even next offseason, potentially, which I think was part of the Talon Horton Tucker trade is they traded THT mm-hmm. who had who had contract uncertainty in terms of a player option in his contract. And they traded him for an expiring contract in Patrick Beverly that removes a $10 million or $11 million potential obligation and turn that into cap space. One of the talking points that I've seen from reporters who do have sources within the Lakers organization is, well, the Lakers can have up to $34 million in cap space next offseason. You know what that tells me? That tells me, oh, well, you know what's a potential possibility is that the only two players from this year's team who would be on next year's team are LeBron James (laughs) and Anthony Davis. And then lining up LeBron James and Anthony Davis's contracts in the way that they did, where both have opt outs after the 2024 season is, oh, guess what? There's a potential where the Lakers would have zero dollars committed to any player in that summer. You know what that tells me is there's a possibility that there could be a whole damn brand new Lakers team that never played a single second together that next season. And so what do you value? And if you value stars, I get it. It's the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm in the middle of watching Legacy and you know the guys who have been on the damn screen are Magic Johnson and freaking Jerry West. And they've talked about, right? It's just like, I watched Woody Time and they're talking about Will Chamberlain and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and we're going to get into Kobe Bryant and Shaq and we just got LeBron James and Anthony Davis. It's just like, oh, shit. This is Los Angeles Lakers, right? 
So I get it. But what is the direction of the team? What are the values? And are you willing to build, Pete? You're talking about the potential of like, hey, bird rights have value too. Well, do they for this front office? Do they actually? Because mm-hmm. bird rights come with cap holds and cap holds come mm-hmm. with the the erasure of cap space. And so like, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in conversations that Rob Palinka is is having with his top executives and and the and the rest of the front office in terms of what are they actually valuing and what is the direction of the team? Because if the whole idea is, oh, well, you know what? Next summer, we'd love to be able to dump everyone and go get a whole brand new team and sign that third star and then sign and then use our taxpayer mid-level or whatever and then sign eight more dudes who make the minimum, then it's just like, if it's going to be that cycle, then I have trouble seeing what the Lakers are going to be. How much does what they're going to be in six months actually matter if in 14 months they're going to be something totally different than that? We have LeBron and AD now. And I know that, that, that the value of that and what that means is, is hard to remember because we haven't had both of them very much. They played three straight games once last year, the first three games of last year. LeBron and AD, it's what the whole thing's built on, right? But the whole stars, the whole like, oh, Wilt, Kareem, we, we build everything and we wait for all of that. We got two of them. You need two of them. A third one is great when you can get it, but you can also risk kind of hollowing out the meat and potatoes of your team. And I think that's very much what we did last season. It's, and especially if that third star doesn't jive with them. But like 2023, 2024, like, and to Mike's point, guys are re-signing with their own teams. They're not hitting free agency, the, the really big guys. They're getting their money because there's financial incentive to stay with the team that you have. And then they're trying to force their way out of there if they really want to get out of there. So the idea of this uncertain future, we're like, oh, well, who, who are the stars available in 2024? Like, we have LeBron and AD now. Nothing about the future is guaranteed on that front, whether it's LeBron and AD or star power, right? So building around capitalizing on what you have now it's so much more it's so much more tangible mike i can i see lebron and ad i see i know who they are i know what they bring to the table i don't know who the star is in 2025 if they're even interested are they resigning with their own team they're probably eligible eligible for a supermax right so who is it that we are what is the value of that uncertain future versus the LeBron and AD that we have now? And that's kind of the basis of my belief of that you got to build the best team that you can today because that future is not guaranteed. Yes and no, but more yes than no. <laughs> right. Which which is where I think we're all doing our mostly agree, but are trying to but are adding some subtle points around the main factor. And mm-hmm. there have been a lot of questions around LeBron and AD the last two years and LeBron is going into his 20th season and we've gone over the math before next year will be his 21st season. And so that shrinks the pie down to just a couple of guys, right? Whereas it's 10. Do you think LeBron can be the best player on a championship team? Well, LeBron can be the best player in a game. And I still think probably even in a series um, with given it, given the chance to, you know, really get his body right in between games. But over the course of a of a full season, can LeBron be the best player in the league anymore at, at that age? I, I mean, no, no player has ever been able to do that. So 
That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, can he be the best player on a team that wins the championship? The, the LeBron that we saw last year can be, well, okay. It's just a hard question because to win a championship, of course, you have to go, you have to play a full regular season as a player to get your, to, you know, to, and be in a certain condition. Then you have to get through round one and round two and round three and then the finals. And this year it's a deep West round one. Isn't going to necessarily be easy. No matter what seed you are, it could, there could be a good number eight seed in the West this year. The number one seed is obviously going to be good. So that's, I think it's going to be very difficult uh, for even, you know, the, the a top two player of all time in year 20 to go through the amount of regular season that needs to be played in order for the team to be in a spot and the, and LeBron in this case to be in a spot to then get through a full playoffs as the best player. That is a massively heavy load and requires a amazing season from Anthony Davis to take a lot out of that and requires a lot from the rest of the roster, which is part of the, the reason we're talking because we just don't know for sure what that's going to be. But um, I don't know, Darius, I it's hard to answer that question in a succinct way, but I'll just say that we've we've certainly never seen it before. And. Like as as great as LeBron was last year, a lot of people didn't even vote him onto their All NBA third team. You know, like mixed in, accounting for games missed and accounting for how much total defense he was able to play for the season. But he also didn't get to kind of he didn't get to influence voters by showing us in a playoff series, right? That he still, when needed, can put those amount of games together. So, like. That's that, in other words, there are seasons where LeBron, even in Cleveland, like his second sit in Cleveland, didn't have his best regular season and then just went off on a ridiculous playoff run to remind everybody, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm still that guy for sure. So can LeBron be the best player on a championship team? Like we're splitting hairs. I like I think that he basically was in 2020, but Anthony Davis was very close to him. And I think that's the level in which that's the level in which they both need to play for any team to be able to win the championship. Mm -hmm. That wasn't that long ago. It was not. But I mean, the last so years 15 through 20 of an NBA player, those are dog years. You agent dog years there, right? Like the first the first 10 to 12 years. Now, with modern science and recovery and all that these guys can do in order to invest in their bodies, those first 12 years, those are like, it's like inception. And they're in like the fourth level of dreams, right? It's, it's their time goes by so slowly for those guys. It's, it's like they look exactly the same, almost physically even, in year 12 that they did in year six, and that's what LeBron was doing. And LeBron has defied that even longer, where in the year that they won the championship, was, which was his year, what, 17 season, that he looked like he did when they were beating the Warriors in 2016. Like that was like a good four years earlier. And he basically looked like the same dude. Right. But I'm seeing decline in LeBron already. Like I'm and if not decline, I'm seeing an evolution of of his game. I'm seeing a shift. I'm seeing that he's driving less. He's finishing less effectively when in crowds. 
right? Like there are there are subtle things. He's so damn good that he is adjusting and he's scoring and he's still impacting the game defensively and and he's doing a lot of stuff. But I'll be very interested to see what his level is at this season, how much more he relies on his jump shot, and then what is then needed from AD in order to complement LeBron in the way that LeBron will need to be complimented at this stage of his career versus what that even looked like two years ago. That didn't directly answer your question, Pete. I do think that LeBron will need more help than ever in order to win a championship, even if he is still the best player. Can he be the best player? I guess I'll circle around and say yes. But the quality of the team needs to be higher than what it was in year 10 when he was with the Heat or in year 14 when he was with the Cavs, if that makes sense. And I just... I already had a chance to speak on this, but to to try and be a little more succinct, I just don't think you can ask him this year to have to be that that number one, like best player in the league, best player on the on the. I don't think you can ask him to do that. I think you have to. I think Davis has to take a much larger piece yeah. of that ask, and and whoever else is on there. But I'm not. I don't think you can go into this season like the Bucks are going into it, uh, asking Giannis right to to do something, and I, I think that's that's an unfair expectation. 100% agree. I just don't think those things are ne- necessarily mutually exclusive. Getting to an NBA championship and seeing kind of older players as uh, and seeing older players as part of championship teams, there are a lot of other guys that carry the water along the way to get you to that point. I still think, though, that LeBron very much can be the best player on a championship team. And as a result, I think we should build the team accordingly, especially when AD is right there. If AD is healthy, and I think that he's going to be playing the four a lot more this year, there are a lot of factors in place for it's AD's time. And I think that there is a a very reasonable version of this year and of the future where AD steps up to fill that more. Because I agree with Darius's point that the surrounding teammates have to be better than than ever. I think we can get there, though. I think that the formula is LeBron, AD, and really good defense. But I think to be able to get there, you need to you need to make this deal. Like whatever the best version of this deal is, I think that that's how you get there. But I think that LeBron being of that caliber was what makes it worth it in the first place. So this is where I do circle back to where you're at, Pete, is I'm an advocate of making a deal before the season starts. I'm an advocate of making a deal before LeBron has his little mini camp. I'm... I'm looking for this team to come together as early as possible and start to learn each other as quickly as possible because the type of team the Lakers are going to need to be is one that depends on knowing each other and knowing what each other's strengths are, knowing how to play off of each other and having a certain amount of cohesion and chemistry that makes the whole greater than the sum of its parts. It's all of the things that you lose when you don't have the continuity you were talking about earlier. Yeah. And so the point of my post that I wrote was that when you have smart players and and you have players that know what they're doing when playing together, they can come together in a way that wins you things on the margins. And the Lakers are going to need to win at the heart of the matter, which is with LeBron and AD, and they're going to need to win on the margins. And they're going to need to overcome, in some ways, talent deficiencies that are currently there on their roster right now. They can make up for some of those deficiencies by making a trade, I think, and turning one player who honestly is super maligned right now, but I think is still of 
quality NBA player and can help an NBA team, not necessarily help a team in the way that the Lakers want to be helped, though. And that's the distinction. And they need to make a swap for a for a player or players who can help them in the ways that they need to be helped. And that's that's it. That's the crux of the matter. And get to it soon is what I would advise. It's going to be very interesting to see what direction we choose. Uh, all right, we're going to be back tomorrow uh, as things have heated up with this Lakers offseason. So shall we. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. With a little tap to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.